0: Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast. I am, of course, your Uncle Stamford Chidge. And uh, here we are yet again for another episode of something that I've been absolutely loving uh, the both times that we've done it, which is the 50 years of Chelsea, which, of course, if you don't know by now, is where me and the boys go through a Chelsea season for every season from 1970 onwards. And we started doing it in the first lockdown. And here we are just before the start of the... uh, 2021-2022 2021-2022 season and we are up to 1995 to 1996. Um, a very very historic season for many many reasons and to share this evening with me uh, I am the the, the the well it's the A team really I've got Mr Jonathan Kidd whoop great to be here and there are only three of us
1: so it'll go really quickly
0: yeah right that's my hope, J.K. I, I'm, you know, I live in hope, not expectation. Uh, so we've got J.K. as always. And, of course, we have the man who we're, J.K. and I are very quickly realising is that without Mark, there is no show because he remembers the things so that we don't have to. And it's, I'm very glad of it. Mark, how, how are you, dear boy? Lovely to see you. Uh, lovely to see you both. Yes, I'm good. Looking forward to this
2: evening, the arrival of the Rude Boy, Yes, indeed.
0: Rudy, 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 Rudy. Now, uh, before we get into all of that, um, uh, of course, we have to have a look at the kits. And uh, remarkably, this is the first time for ages that we've done this, that we only have two kits. Uh, We've got a new home kit, which uh, I actually quite liked, I have to say. Um, it's uh, it's the one. It's it's obviously it's blue, but it's got little kind of white flashings on the shorts. It's got very white socks with the horrible Bates Millwall badge on them, which is a bit of a downer. And of course, it's a cause kit, but it's got this lovely kind of button thing and little yellow yellow collars uh, and yellow and blue collars. I like that kit. Uh, and we've still got the uh, the Marmite kit or the Tangerine and Graphite kit which we've got for the rest of this season. But there was no, no third kit, no third kit either, which is a bit weird. But uh, JK, uh, as our as our fashion guide, uh, well, what I say think, you about the kit?
1: I, mean, I think the reason they've got no third kit is that it, it, the orange and graphite didn't clash with anybody because yeah. it's so
0: weird. It was so bad
1: that yeah. they couldn't
0: possibly have another kit.
1: Indeed, indeed. I think they realised that they could wear that whenever. They could have worn that all season, even at home, and nobody would have clashed. Um but I thought this is my favourite kit, actually. Here. Really? I mean, well, I like the Coxportief. We've established that as well. We've, well that's a, that's a, a, um, a seminal kit. But this in particular, uh, but part of the reason is, is because such fabulous football and such fabulous players played in it. That really helps me to appreciate it. But I love the uh, little bits of yellow and I love the white flashes on the, uh, on the shorts at a kind of angle um, and obviously the white socks as well. But uh, the um, the little white Y shaped um, collar bit with the uh, button in it was uh, was uh, always a favourite of mine. I, I just love the kit. I love the players who played in the kit. That's the main thing, I think.
0: So. Yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it? How we, you know, and I'm I'm sure Mark that you know J.K. just dropped the old uh, Lecoq Sportif bomb, the eighty three eighty four kit, and and it's my favourite kit. And and I don't and I like it. It's a nice kit, but I'm, I'm sure it has a lot more to do with the fact that I absolutely adored that whole team. So it's funny how how our views on kits seem to mould with that.
2: No, de- definitely. And again, I'd agree with JK. This is a really nice kit. I like I, li- I like this kit. Uh, and I think we talk about the away kit. I think the away kit was very much designed to sort of like be a fashion item. Well, I think this home kit was a fashion item uh, in this '95-6 season because most people were wearing it and you know to be really you know a fashion icon you had to have a number four on the back with the words hulets yes (laughs) because that's what everybody was wearing this season well they were indeed well
0: (laughs) before we get into that which we're going to do to death in a minute just a quick reminder for you lovely people out there uh that we've partnered up with the three retro.com uh and they have a superb collection of Chelsea retro gear and they are offering 10% off when you use the 3 retro 10 code and if you order over uh, 50 quid of merch you get free UK delivery now uh for the you know the link to get you this 10% off uh you need to go to our Twitter and Facebook post for this show uh when i put it up here sometime later today or tomorrow and uh, just click on their their link there and it'll you'll get your 10% off if you use that 3 retro 10 code so and they, I mean, you know, they they, they they do quite a wide range, actually, of shirts, you know, so it's uh, well worth investigating. Now, as Mark's teased mercilessly in the five minutes that we've been on air, uh, this is a very, very big season for one particular reason. And it, 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 we always start, as you know, with the in and outs. And uh, right at the back end of last season, the 94-95 uh, season, a certain Rude Hullet was transferred from Sampdoria for free. Uh, swiftly followed in June by Mark Hughes from Man United for one and a half million. But other ins throughout the season, which we'll talk about uh, as and when they crop up. But just to let you know, Jody Morris uh, comes through from the youth this year. Mark Nichols also comes through from the youth. Dan Pet Rescue, super Dan. Uh, He comes in in uh, November from Sheffield Wednesday for 2.3 million. And Terry Phelan, uh, comes in in November from Man City for seven hundred and fifty grand. Now, on their way out are David Hopkin, who goes to Crystal Palace for eight hundred and fifty grand. Hallelujah Robert Fleck has flocked and flocked off, I think, or flecked off, if you prefer. Uh, we, we sent him back to Norwich. You're probably the only people who would take him for six hundred fifty grand. He goes in September. Darren Barnard goes to Bristol City uh, in October for one hundred and seventy five grand. Dear old Gareth Hall. Gareth Hall, he goes to Sunderland for 300 grand in uh, January, and Andy Dow goes to Hibernian for 125 grand in March. So there you go. But let's be honest, it's all about Hullet. But we shouldn't forget Hughesy. But let's talk about Hullet first. It was very interesting on the season review. What I read, or I watched even, that Hullet in an interview said uh, that one of the reasons he came to Chelsea was that Hoddle was the manager that was really important for him and the reason why it was really important was because he knew that Hoddle was into playing a passing game and that was right for the way that he wanted to play I tell you what Mark um, I wonder if it was also important that Chelsea had just got to a semi-final of a European competition so that therefore perhaps had got on the radar of some of these continental players whereas they might not have done previously
2: no, fair point. Uh, I, I think that was a massive part in Colin Hutchinson se- and, and Glenn Hoddle um, selling the vision of Chelsea to Ruud Hollett. But wow, what a massive signing that e- even 25 years on, you know, and y- you see it now that the, the people in the know and they're going announce this, announce that. You know, we didn't have any of that nonsense back then. But if you look at the amount of players that have come and gone through Chelsea Football Club over 25 years, the signing of Ruudhullit is right up there in terms of a massive, massive signing. It really was. Yeah, this is sort of like evening standards sort of like front-page news. Yeah, it, it was such a big thing for Chelsea to get know. Yeah, really sort of mem- memorable times in the history of Chelsea. Like at, at the time, you know, you know, I'm trying to do my day job and I had half, you know, half of like sort of Fleet Street ringing me up for quotes, uh, TV shows, etc. It was so big. I remember going on a GLR. With Gideon Co. and Fee Glover on their breakfast show and the absolute buzz in GLR, you know, like a London radio station. You know, they couldn't believe that Rude Hullett was not only just coming to play for Chelsea, was coming to London. You know, it was a, such a massive thing. You know, so yes, really significant, you know, player in Chelsea's history. And again, he's in my top ten, eleven, you know, Chelsea team of all time.
0: Yeah, I mean, JK, it was it, it, it... I think it was pivotal, wasn't it? When he it, it just took the club onto a whole new level, and and I think that's the day we became a global club, actually, because he we, was
1: one of one of the best players in the world,
0: Ballon d'Or winner, yeah, obviously, yeah. you know,
1: yeah. and and had and had won it all with Milan or Milan, Milan, one is what supposed to call it now, being cosmopolitan, um, but uh, he's my favourite player of all time, really, yeah, yeah, without any shadow of a doubt, uh, he was electrifying and his ability to, to glide past players um, whilst looking up, looking up for other players was uh, was something that I'll always, it'll always stay with me. I think that Wimbledon, um, we're going to get to that, but his his ability just to, to ghost with the ball from the halfway line, just with, with, a, with a great pace, but looking as if he was strolling.
0: Uh, and strolling, then strolling uh, just strolling it, 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 by it, it, the light of the moon above sorry go on it's, it's no, no, automatic i can't help absolutely it absolutely required
1: from there i mean he he, uh, he had it all for me he 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 was he had a great shot um um he had ability to beat players at will um he would you'd uh, he'd suddenly he'd find him at, on the right wing a lot just just Ghosting past players and whipping the ball in could cross onto a sixpence. Um, the number of times he could just find Hughes, who was, you know, his his willing playmate, just running into the penalty area to to volley it in. I thought they were a fantastic partnership. And I will I will go on about him as well. Hughes to me was also one of the one of the great signings. I think Ferguson said he made a great great mistake. Biggest but, mistake
0: he'd ever made. He said ever made. Yeah, but his,
1: but um, Hullet's vision could look at players and just try and get them to go into positions that he was thinking of. There's a, we'll see. There's a wonderful pass that he plays, and get outside of the foot, from just moving to the penalty area, thirty-yard pass, splits everybody. He's, he was genius. just absolutely a genius, completely and yeah. utterly. And and uh, and I, as I say, um, Hughes uh, for the team as well was was an absolute coup because he's similarly to me one of the great Chelsea players of of my time of watching as well
0: Um, and you've been watching it longer than Mark and I have I've
1: been watching longer than Mark and and, uh, you Chidge I'm afraid I am 40 years older than both of you. Yeah, but you uh, saw Jimmy uh, Greaves play for Chelsea. I did see, yeah, but, he, but that was very different because the side wasn't very good and he just used to goal hang.
0: But he's still one of the greatest players we've but, ever well, had.
1: Oh, well, great. But well, because he just could, wherever he was, he could slot the ball in. But very different times. I mean, as even now, very different times from uh, from when uh, Hullett was playing. And also, he, he managed to get the best out of uh, Peacock and Spencer Hullett. That's what was so. So wonderful about him as a player. And it revealed, I mean, I've talked about this in, in in previous shows, is both Peacock and Spencer were great at sneaking in and volleying. They were great volleyers of the ball, both of them. And Spencer this season is absolutely in his element. He scores some fantastic goals. You forget, actually, once again, you think, yeah, decent players, Spenny. And you you watch the the stuff back and you think, God, he really was so accurate, as opposed to poor, unfortunate Mark Steen, who um, uh, had his purple patches when he'd score seven in a row in in seven games, and then would he miss the most obvious um, sitters. When you just think, how did he miss that one? And those, so my memories of both of them are are very different indeed. Steen remembering him as a as a kind of just serial for a little period. He couldn't stop hitting the goal brilliantly, accurately, and and brilliantly, ferociously, a great ferocious shot. But Spencer, far more consistent, sneaking in in front. There's another fabulous goal we're going to get to where he, uh, I think it's a Hulik cross, he just gets in front of the player and and smashes it into the roof of the net, just with timing and getting there. You think that is really an immaculate goal. And uh, um, yes, this was a... The the buzz for this season was... um, uh, possibly the best that I'd ever had since um the Osgood period, since the period where we'd won we'd won trophies because um you just thought something must happen here with these players and 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 it did. It did. It was except it wasn't the consistency of the season that we'd have wanted, but you could see something was being built here as a consequence of bringing these players in. Yeah. And as the season went on, we just, just discussed who came into the side, Petrescu, another brilliant player, brilliant signing by Hoddle, who had his vision and was beginning to make the vision work as the season went on. It yeah, was
0: um... absolutely. No, it's, uh, it's going to be really fun talking about it tonight for all of those yeah. reasons. Um, yeah. Mark, the interesting thing that uh, I had forgotten completely, actually, as you do, um, was that we were we were apparently in the, the the ITK crowd I don't know how the ITK crowd managed to communicate in in 1995 but apparently uh we we missed out on Dennis Bergkamp and also interestingly Gaza because his agent wanted two money but also Gianfranco Zola who of course we get the next year so you've got some interesting quotes that you've dug out well I don't know where you have dug them out from but
2: no, it's actually, I, I look back um, on, uh, one of them was a, a press quote I found from Glenn Hoddle, and I think you know, one was, um, I think it was a piece of the Chelsea Independent where I, I went to a book launch and I think Glenn spoke at that, and I think he mentioned it there. Yeah, but I, I, I've, I've seen it somewhere. But yeah, I remember we were in for camp because the day we signed Hullet, and, and I said I did that thing with GLR, I also did, I think, Five Live, and I actually said it on the show Well, what do you think, Mark, about Bergkamp coming? I'll go, what? Yeah, so they were in the know. I thought, well, we're in for Bergkamp as well. I thought, Bergkamp and Hullet. So it didn't materialise. Arsenal beat us to it. Yes, Gazza, Colin Hutchison said, you know, we're after Gazza, but his agent wanted too much money. But the Zola one that took me by surprise, so clearly a year and a half before we bought him, we were looking at him as a player, you know. And Hoddle says, funny enough, Zola was the one I wanted to bring in. Yeah, you know, and it was moved, he could be available, but the money just wasn't there at the time. So I presume Yeah, you know, we went we went and got Hullet, but we couldn't have got Hullet and Zola, maybe. That might have something to but I think it's more and we'll talk about it later. Some of the things going on behind the scenes with Matthew Harding and Ken Bates, you know, how much money Harding was prepared to put in for transfer, all the other things going on at the club. But again, you know, we'll get Zola later, but just ha- having Hullet you know, and the impact he has over the coming months, people wearing rude Hullet wigs. To Chelsea, It was just an amazing time to be a Chelsea fan. There was, as JK said, there was a real buzz, especially pre-season, uh, about Hullet's arrival.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, everybody was wearing Rude uh, rude Hullet dreadlock wigs. It was just, it was nuts. I've never seen anything like it before, really, at Chelsea at all. You know, it was absolutely brilliant. Of course, there's always a few naysayers, uh, and uh, Mark's dug out this wonderful quote from uh, Quasimodo. Sorry, Peter Beardsley. Uh, the, the, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and then the boys will react. And depending on how they react, will depend on whether I leave it in. Uh, but anyway, the well-known racist Peter Beardsley.
2: Yeah, I, I believe that is the allegation that's made against him, and that's why he was suspended by Newcastle. So is,
0: I'm allowed to keep it in then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Allegedly, allegedly. All right, just yeah. to cover our asses. Yeah. The alleged racist Peter yeah. Beardsley. Uh, yeah. uh He said. And you can now you'll understand why I'm being a bit snarky about him. Uh Sunday Mirror Comment and Rude Hullett signing. I'm not sure Hullet is a big enough club or good enough club to be a hit. Says Peter Beersley playing for Newcastle, who I uh, has to say they, they were in the running for the title this season, but we're a bigger club than Newcastle, for fuck's sake. Everybody knows that. What's he on about?
2: Um, I'd love, I'd love lo- it. I'd really love it if Newcastle didn't win the league this season. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and Peter Beardsley misses a penalty against us. Oh, oh, that's coming later. That's yeah. coming later. Um, you know, going back to Mark Hughes as well, because I'm absolutely with you, J.K. I loved Hughesy, and the funny thing is, I hated him before he signed. Yeah, I was absolutely we- Mark Hughesy, fucking Man, you know I-, I was really apoplectic with rage. And he certainly turned me round by the time his career finished. But of course, he did. Um, he was a Chelsea fan as a boy. He Used to wear a Peter Bonetti kit as a kid.
1: Did you know All, that the whole green outfit? I thought he had a he had a Peter Bonetti poster. Well, I, I, I well, I, this is from
0: Rick. So, oh, Rick said he wore the kit. Okay, sh- well, shirt enough.
1: Peter Benetti shirt. Shirt. Okay. So he wanted to be a goalkeeper. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. But he man. to me, well, I wish I'd known that you could play football like that. Watching him. Because when, when I was younger, I really would have put it about a lot more. Because he was, he was. I think he had the most yellow cards of anybody in the end of the season, and he was sent off once, wasn't he? think yeah, he had thirteen yellow cards or something, and he was absolutely. I mean, just re- so remarkably competitive. It was, and the ability, the strength, the upper body strength. The ball was was kicked at him in the penalty area. He could just chest the ball down and keep the center halves away from him was absolutely remarkable, which is something that poor old Paul Furlong, who played a few times this season and was decent at putting the ball in the net, but was no comparison. When you look at Hughes playing, you understand what centre forward play. Is all about.
0: he's the best. The best at holding a ball up I've yes, ever seen. I've ever seen. I've, and he's one too. of the, one of the best volleyers of a football. And one I've of, ever and a seen. great,
1: a great header. Just I, a great yeah. goal, scorer, great goal scorer. A great, great player. Really, Hughes. Absolutely, these two signings were remarkable.
2: But the interesting thing about Mark Hughes, when you meet him off the pitch, he's so quiet. Yeah. Yeah, that that line on the pitch, you know, that terrorises defences. But off the pitch, wouldn't say boot to a goose. Yeah. Complete, you know, complete contrast in personalities. He's on, he's almost like Jekyll and Hyde, you know. But, you but, know, but, but... he wasn't a filthy player, though. He was no, just, no, no. It, yeah. he wouldn't
1: put his foot in. He wasn't a Julian Dick stamping on Johnny Spencer's head. You know, he wasn't anything, like, he wasn't a, he didn't, he wasn't the kind of striker who uh, um, you would think, oh, he's a, he wasn't a, he wasn't a, a costa. He, he, he had the, he had the an energy and the aggression of Costa, but uh, Costa... He wasn't, he wasn't felt, dirty. He wasn't dirty, ever. Costa just, was dirty. Absolutely. Unbelievably competitive and one of the great headers of the ball, as well as a great volleyer. The, the ability to, to uh, reach so many things you were thought of out, out, out of his reach and head the ball and set a chance up, I, I, I really can't. Can't speak too. You're too getting hard.
0: emotional, mate. I love it.
1: No, I, but it was such a, He was such such a player,
0: Hughes. He was. I absolutely loved him. Yeah, me too. Me too. Now, Mark's got about at least three mega stories before we get into the games. Which, <laughs> uh, having read them already, as I know J.K. has. Jake and I are going to sit back and have yes. our coffee and let take it away, Mark, because these are uh, hilarious.
2: I'll, I'll throw a things for you to get you warmed <laughs> up before before the, the first game of the season against Everton. We were talking about Robert Fleck leaving. We we should have said this earlier in the show. Uh, post season is uh, obviously Fleck was here at the start of the season, but obviously he went. I think was it in September. But post season, Robert Fleck gets done by the Football Association for the year before when we obviously got to the 94 Cup final, um, Flecky was a tout, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> he, he got done for selling Cup final tickets that obviously got traced back to him. So the FA um, gave him a five-year ban from receiving Cup final tickets and a £300 fine. He probably paid the fine with the revenue he got from selling on the, the, cup, the cup final tickets. The, the other thing that you should, should have mentioned um, is... I was really lucky, sort of post-season, um, to get the opportunity to play at Stamford Bridge, which was yeah, any Chelsea fans' lifetime ambition. Um, and a guy called Tony Farmer, who managed the sort of Chelsea women's team at that time, had organised a friendly at the Royal and for the Royal Marsden Hospital against uh, the Ar- Arsenal lady side. And he said, like, you know, do you want to put the sort of the Chelsea Independent side up against an Arsenal fanzine? So, so we did, um, and unfortunately, we lost. 1 0 to the Arsenal at Stanford Bridge was a bit of a kick in the teeth, the only time I've ever got to play there. But there's this moment there, and I sort of thought about it when I was sort of reviewing the season, sort of 25 years on, and when I've done any psychological damage to anybody. Um, I, I was, I was player manager, um, and at half time, so there's about a crowd of 500 at Stanford Bridge um, for both games. So I'm, I'm on um, Glenn's seat on the bench at Stanford Bridge, and at half time, sort of like this kid jumps over. And he sort of says, like, you know, can I have your autograph? You know, and he he actually thought I was Glenn Hoddle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I I sort of, yeah, yeah. Children are, you know, they they believe something so strongly. So I sort of said to him, no, I'm not Glenn Hoddle. You know, um, but he said, well, if you're not Glenn Hoddle, you must be something important because you're the Chelsea manager. So I'd still like your autograph. So if I really want to do some psychological, I could have signed the book Glenn Hoddle you know, but I actually signed it in my name. So he was so chuffed to get my autograph, it leaks back over into the East End lower tier. And then this mob of kids all pile down and they all get my autograph. So there's about 20 kids who are now probably in their late 30s, early 40s. They've got an autograph book somewhere with my name in it. And they're probably thinking like, now who the fuck's autograph is that? I, I wonder <laughs> we- <laughs> if
0: one of them's Chris Wright.
2: <laughs> yeah, so we, we were talking about things like autographs earlier before we came on air. So, guys, if, if you've got my autograph somewhere, I apologise. Like I'm not Glenn Hoddle, you know, if it's sitting in your autograph somewhere from that day. But the other thing as well was um, um, we then had, obviously, a, a pre-season benefit game for Paul Elliott because I moaned on last week's show about how badly we treated Kerry Dixon. So they got it bang on for Paul Elliott. A pre-season game, 16,000 crowd. You know, we play in Porto and obviously Mark Hughes scores his first goal at the bridge. So first game, goal, good start. I remember it being a really hot day and we were still so organised that having last season forgot to apply for the licence, this time, you know, first game of the season, they ran out of beer in the North Stand on a really hot day. Like you couldn't make this stuff up. But this is an absolutely brilliant moment. Um, so, Chelsea are one up at half-time and Porto equalise in the second half. And I can't remember the Portuguese player's name, but it's at the, the the north stand, Matthew Harding end. So, the Portuguese player, he scores. And, you know, as Beckham learns in later years, he runs up to celebrate in front of the Chelsea fans. So, while he's standing there sort of with his arms out, taking all the glory, and bear in mind, this is a pre-season friendly. Some Chelsea fan gets up for receipt and he throws his hamburger and it hits the Porto player right in the kisser. Yeah, And there's a big cheer from the crowd as fans would do those sort of thing. But credit to the Porto player. He bends down, he picks up the hamburger, takes a bite out of it, and then everybody gets up and gives him a standing ovation. Just absolutely brilliant moment. Um, but again, s- s- same game. Um, a guy called Steve Frankham. People who go to Chelsea know Steve. Yeah, know Steve. He used to, be, yeah, used to be chair of the Chelsea Pitch Owners. Well, Steve was in charge of Paul Elliott's testimonial year. So after the game, and Steve invited me along, he'd organised what I'd probably best call like a casino on the concourse of the upper tier of the North Stands. Uh, so all the players were there afterwards. I met Rude Hullett, you know, for the first time and the only time. And again, it's probably the only time where I've met a player where I was absolutely gobsmacked, just didn't know what to say. And I'm tall. I'm six foot but Hullet towered above me when I got introduced to him. And I was just like a gibbering wreck. Cause he just, he's like, my God, it's rude Hullet. He's like, you know, uh, and he just towers over you. And like, almost not deliberately intimidating, but he's just so big a personality. So I was just tongue tied. And then I met Bobby Robson and I actually had time chatting to chat Bobby Robson. And absolutely he would be everything you want him to be. Cause he was managing Porto at that time. And he introduced me to his assistant. Uh, and I'd forgotten about this. Um, Uh, until many years later because I I was actually taken with his assistant because he was his translator at the time. And there's this guy called Jose Mourinho. (laughs) And the only other time I met Jose Mourinho um, was when he was a Chelsea manager. And I thought it was a bit rude and abrupt. And I thought, what happened to that guy sort of like, you know, 15 years ago with this absolute charmer that was just basically Bobby Robbins' translator. But yeah, Mourinho was there that day. Um, uh, But then, then the piece of resistance is a couple of days later, um Chelsea had gone down to Devon um for their sort of pre-season training camp and people that listen to the show they know you know who Mr Only a Pound is. Uh and he was living down in Torquay in those days. So I went down to stay stay with Dave and to his credit he got some great seats. Um we got seats behind the bench. So we're sitting right behind um Glenn Hoddle at Playmore for the, the pre-season training at Torquay. And like Dave was just lawless that day. Uh, You know, before the game, when the players are out on the pitch, uh, and we had arranged uh, with um, the chairman, Mike Bateson of Torquay United, uh, to go on the pitch and present Rude with a welcome to sort of Chelsea Football Club flag. Uh, And I've I've posted photos, and I'll probably do it afterwards of him on the on the pitch with the flag um, of the Chelsea Independent Sports Association. So, you know, Rude Rude was Rude was great. Real gentleman. Really appreciated the welcome. Dave's going round. Kevin Hicks got it warming up. Dave punches the ball out of Kevin Hicks' got his arms and nicks it. C- Colin Hutchinson and the Glenn Hodler on the pitch. Yeah, you know, Dave just walks across to them. Sort of like just yeah. You know, there was just no rules with Dave. But then the best bit. Chelsea win five 0 Yeah, Hullet was in then third game in. Just incredible. He hits this one fifty yard pass to Mark Steen. He's a wow, if that had gone in, what an amazing goal it would be. But as JK said earlier, the times he found Spenny, the times he found Peacock were these long-range passes. And you sort thought, God, I'm so looking forward to this season. But we win 5-0. It's a friendly, really great, great evening, sunny weather down in Torquay. For some strange reason, a lot of Dutch women, I don't know whether they were there on holiday in Torquay or they'd come over to see Roots or don't know. That's the one thing, just remember, the amount of Dutch women at the game. But at, the final whistle um dave disappears you know he was there in front of us and then he's gone the next uh and most of the chelsea players attire that day was like a white polo shirt with the ken bates badge and a pair of blue shorts and i think that day dave had a white t-shirt on and he might have had a pair of blue shorts and we looked down towards the tunnel and dave has blended himself in with the whole of the chelsea bathroom staff so he then bypasses and jibs past all the talkie security guards because all the kids are running on the pitch looking for autographs. And he disappears down into the dressing room. And we're going, where has he gone? So he gets into the dressing room and he, he tries to get Steve Clark's shirt off him. And then Graham Ricks gets, finds him in the dressing room, and Graham Ricks basically tells him to fuck off out of it. <laughs> So even now, <clears throat> and I asked him about it on Saturday, and it's, it's even to this day referred to as a rixie, like, you know, Rick's giving him such a dirty look and saw him out, and bless him, he never actually got Steve Clark. So, Steve, if you're listening, 25 years on, you know, make make an old man happy and send a shirt down to Mr Only a Pound.
0: Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. There you go. It was good to say. By the way, I mean, we had such a great time on Saturday, as plenty of people will know. We, we all got together in the Chelsea Pension, all the fan cast mob. Uh, and uh, also Smithy uh, Neil Smith and uh, Neil Beard, who was there and talky with you guys, I think. And uh, he, he
2: was indeed. He went down with me. Yes, he yeah, did. Because
0: I've seen him in the picture and uh, yeah. and D- DJ Rule there too. We had an absolutely cracking day. Um, right on with the football. Our first match, uh, a home match, of course, is against Everton and Neil Barnett. What, what I was interested to see uh, on the season review was Neil Barnett with a Barnett. Yeah, yeah. Neil Barnett with hair. He looks so different. Curly, curly Barnett. I, curly Barnett. In fact, uh, introducing uh, Hullet and Hughes to the crowd. Hullet as the best player in the world, and Hughes is the best centre forward in English football in the last twenty years. So Neil, being typically modest, in bigging up the new signings, of course, and of course, being Chelsea, it ends in a in a nil-nil. But it wasn't it wasn't one of those oh God Almighty because I mean we were all over them. I mean I know Limpar hit the post early on. Clark went close from a brilliant set up by Hullett and uh, Hughes. Erlen Johnson did an overhead kick. What's going on? Uh so you know it wasn't I don't know I just don't remember it as being depressing that we'd only draw nil nil I was still full of buzzing uh buzzing optimism. However, JK after after you know drawing away at Forest and then uh losing 2-0 away to Borough, I wasn't feeling quite so uh Chipper, I have to say, well,
1: Borough weren't weren't very they weren't bad. They had Barmby playing for they them. They did, didn't the they? England international at the time, and that uh, Hignett was a decent player. They weren't. He'd, he'd invested the the boy who bought uh, who bought them the who um, was the, the mobile phone magnet. Well,
0: they just opened yeah. the Riverside, hadn't they? The, 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 yeah. the new stadium. That was their first yeah. game in it, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, they, uh, but yes, nonetheless, we were slightly disappointed that these great stars hadn't instantly delivered um but uh you know we were willing to uh accept that it was early days i mean it's it's that thing of allowing them to to bed down a bit which uh, um i'm not convinced anybody gets away with nowadays but um uh but then we were just um, we were seeing what permutations of players he would come up with and i still think we were getting great performances out of rude who was just it was just worth, worth watching them for his performances alone.
0: You know, I think that's what was going on. We haven't scored a goal in three games. We've lost one and drawn the others, but we were still sitting there with our tongues hanging out of our mouths, going rude, yeah. rude, yeah. rude. I mean, that's what we were doing. I mean, it yeah. all, it all. I mean, it doesn't quite click into gear in in a way. But Mark wants to come in before we go to Coventry, right? No, I was actually going to come in
2: on Coventry. Right, okay. because well, I, was, I was, I was going to say that's when you really see those early signs where Hullet is really connecting with his, you know with his colleagues up front. There's an absolutely blinding
0: pass. Well, that, that's the one that JK was talking about. And I was going to say... That yard, was like, yeah, outside, outside of the right
2: outside foot. Of, outside of his foot, an amazing pass to Mark Hughes for the second goal. But then, you know, Hullet hits the post in that game all over Coventry, but then, as Chelsea does so many times down the years, 2-0 up, and we allow Coventry back into the game. Did, but indeed. I was watching that game and, and was very aware of how... Um, uh, slow
1: we were defensively and uh, I think that we we, we'd covered several holes in the team by by um, uh, buying these two and 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 playing the other playing Spencer and playing uh, Peacock and you thought actually this is this is evolving well but the defence was still a little bit dubious I mean I'm afraid I'm going to have to say this I was never a Frank Sinclair fan and the number of times that you see him standing and the ball hits him or he misses the header or he misses his kick. And he was too inconsistent. And, uh, uh, and I think that contributed. And I think we will discover that um, as the season goes on, um, when he gets injured later on, it gives Dewberry an opportunity to come in. And I think the, uh,
0: exactly that. the,
1: side, the side becomes that much more um, solid defensively.
0: We will. You're absolutely right. I mean, we will we, we'll get to that. We will get to yeah, that. I um, know. We will. Uh, yeah. Just well, to say
1: that I think that I think he'd get Frank for all, you know, bless his cotton socks. He was
0: great at scoring own goals, to be fair. Great, yeah.
1: Great at score and And scored the odd screamer himself. He did, before,
0: actually. Before. Well, he did this season.
1: He did this season. Yeah. But I always felt that he would do something good and then give the ball away. And it was, I think we discover in this season that Rude, even at the end of the season, says, Um, There uh, there was quality, but there wasn't enough quality in the team. And I'm afraid, I think, that uh, Frank is an example of that.
0: Indeed. Um, So we're now into September. Uh, We've got one point on the board. Um, But actually, off the pitch, it was getting rather exciting, Mark, wasn't it? Um, The first signs of the Harding v Bates issues all beginning to unravel.
2: Yeah, very very early (coughs) on in September. Obviously, when we get late into a season, it really does begin to unravel. But the, the first signs were there. Uh, and, and you see the difference of viewpoints is it cl- clearly, you know, Harding had put a, a certain amount of investment in, but he wasn't really going to spend the big bucks you know, until he eventually became chairman. But obviously Bates wanted Harding um, to put more investment in because he actually wanted to develop the commercial and hotel side, where I think Harding's investment, other than the initial five million for the North Stand, his future investment was very much around players and players we bought that season was very much with, with Harding's money, such as Petrescu and Phelan. And I think Harding's viewpoint was if the team was successful on the pitch, the business of the pitch takes care of itself. And I think the first tension point was Hoddle wanted a bigger pitch. And I know we talked about the pitch and it had moved last week, but Hoddle wanted a bigger pitch. So that went to um, a meeting of the board and uh, Colin Hutchinson voted with Matthew Harding and they voted in favour. So Hoddle got his way of having this sort of enclosed pitch that was made bigger, where that meant there was probably going to either be a smaller shed end or a smaller West End or a smaller co- commercial development. The other thing that happened at that time as well is I think in September, both Hutchinson and Harding resigned from Chelsea Village, but not from the Chelsea board itself. Uh, and then the other thing, obviously, mischievously, because we had a good relationship with Matthew in the Chelsea Independent, he obviously shared with us that Ken Bates had always said while he was chairman of Chelsea Football Club, he'd never taken a penny out of the club. And obviously, Matthew shared with us that that wasn't quite true, because in the club accounts, um, there was a consultancy fee for £164,614 paid annually to a Kenneth William Bates. so never took a penny out of the club apart from 164,000 pounds yeah, he know, was right basic. he never
0: took a penny out of the club he no, took he 164, 164,000 pounds
2: which actually at the end of the day you could say you know a lot of people were having a problem with that because then, as a chairman of the club, he's then receiving an income or a wage whatsoever. But it was a matter of fact he said he never yeah. took a penny out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Was a contradiction. Yeah,
0: exactly that. Exactly that. Well, there you go. Watch this space because that hots up in about a month or so. But uh, the next game is uh, West Ham away, and the pressure's on a bit. You know, we still haven't won, and we're into September. Uh, but actually, uh, it, you know, we—it was this—is a brilliant match from from what I remember. Wisey puts us one nil up. Spenny gets a cracking 25-yarder. Brilliant. He's got a lot of crackers, Chid. He's scored well, a lot season, of This season, you're yeah. right, but this season particularly, so many, so many cracking goals. Cracking goals. I know. Nothing, nothing poor about his Nothing poor. No, some real screamers all season. I mean, apart yeah. from the clever stuff with Hullet, they're all having a bloody go. I mean, I think, uh, I think Frank actually scores already. Newton scores an absolutely – even Gareth Holders. Anyway, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. West Ham, why is he? Yep. 1 0 up. Spenny scores a great goal from 25 yards out. And then uh, Julian Dix, as we'd established last week, uh, was my, my favourite player. Not. Uh, he stamps on uh, Johnny Spencer's head. He stamps on his head and he doesn't get sent off. But what he, he, is going he played, on?
1: He played the innocent very well. Dix he was always very good at Stupid going. Stupid people do that very well,
0: don't they? Well, Stupid very, people do that very well. Very, very well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If if V A R had been around, he would have been banned. Drummed, drummed off and banned. Yeah. yeah. Anyway,
0: as a result, Spenny gets this uh very kind of Terry Butcher-esque, Paul ince esque headband, bandage, basically, white bandage round his hair with his little hair spiking out of the top of it, and he's clearly on one. I mean he's 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 revved up and raring to go. Um Hutchinson then gets one back for West Ham, and then Dick's not satisfied with stamping on Spenny's head does a dreadful tackle on Hullet because he kind of like holds him and holds him and holds him and then puts his body weight on his knee. Did you, just, did you see that in the review? Yeah. I mean, it looks quite innocent, but i tell you, that is nasty. That is, could have broken his leg anyway. Still, he doesn't get sent off. Uh, and then Spenny's fouled by Tim Breaker, who for some reason was always in my fancy football side at the time. What, probably because he was cheap. Anyway... Um, <laughs> So, Breaker, Breaker uh, gives a penalty away, Wise takes it, it's saved. Uh, but then the, uh, the coup de grace uh, at the end of the game is uh, Hullet, a great ball to Spenny, who who absolutely wallops it in, headband and all. Oh, it's a really good game, this, actually. And I think that's, it kind of got them going, didn't it, really? Yeah.
2: I think there's a, there's a lovely moment uh, on, on here as well um, that Hullet um, gives the Sky Man of the Match Award to John Spencer. Yeah, and I, I I think that's a really really great moment because already you can see the team spirit in the side sort of like coming through. Yeah, you know, Hullett Hullet isn't aloof, big headed, anything like that. He settled into the team really well.
0: Yeah, I love I love that interview because the guy yeah. was interviewing Spenny, and and he and he and and Hullett thought he was about to ask him a question, then he and he ignored him and yeah. carried on talking to Spenny. And I thought that was a hilarious moment. Yeah. You know that actually Spenny was the star and not Hullett there. I thought it was really really interesting. You know, I mean, it was really interesting as well. I mean, I remember Hullet saying in the season review around this time of the season that he was basically playing as the the sweeper and the playmaker. But when Chelsea, you know, needed goals or needed to go on the attack, he would get into the midfield when Chelsea needed goals, basically. And I think this is a a really interesting theme throughout the season. And Jonathan nailed it early on saying, you know, basically, you know, Hullet played anywhere.
2: Oh, yeah. I know we'll talk about the Blackburn game later. I think in that one, he plays up front towards the end. Yeah. Yeah so he was he was playing total football yeah in that Chelsea side that season. Yeah.
0: Anyway, I think the next game is where it really really started to click and you could see see the shape of things to come really when we we played Southampton at home. Uh I mean we could have gone down 1-0 of course to uh to Neil Shipley ex Chelsea. Wise he clears off the line but uh it was all Chelsea really after that. Sinclair uh from a wise pass one there you go Frank scored a goal JK at the right end. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, <laughs> but everybody remembers this match, obviously, for, uh, it was Hullett's first uh, Chelsea goal, and a brilliant volley for the second, and then Husey, another brilliant volley from a Minto cross for 3-0. And they were, they were all superb goals. And uh, as I said, I think, uh, Mark, it, it was like the, the, you know, that was the the first sign of things to come, really, wasn't it?
2: Oh, it was. And I think I remember it was pissing down with rain that day. Of course. And that, that yeah, that Hullett volley, you know, absolutely great goal you know, and you sort of think sh- shape of things come you know so two, two wins on the spin moving in the right direction uh, and obviously then I think the next game was like stoking the cup but then it falls off the, the wheels again we go and lose up at Newcastle but
0: then we well, come back again we will we will we will but that, that Newcastle game um, you know oh yeah Karine basically yeah. kicking the ball into yeah. Ferdinand oh yeah yeah and then Steno being very wasteful but yeah the Arsenal game Mark what happened Marvellous. at the Arsenal game? I can't remember.
2: Well, obviously, it was the two, Dutch, the, the two big Dutch signings. I think they were, they were on the front page of Total Football at the start of that season. I went to Total Football's launch, and you had Hullet and Berkant. They were the two star signings of the Premier League. Hullet was superb that day. You know, he hits the post. Great goal from Mark Hughes. Um, and, you know, Chelsea hadn't beaten Arsenal for quite a while, you know. But, obviously, we win that day. And there's a small matter... About a certain Nigel Spackman mm. thumping thumping a guy called Martin Keown, Bob, yeah? Bob, Bob to his friends, Brain brainer, Britain Keown, yeah, uh, absolutely glorious moment, you know, probably the only time Nigel Spackman ever got a standing ovation leaving a pitch at Chelsea, bless him. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, Keown typically was all over him like a cheap suit, and he and he kept on trying to get away from him. In the end, he just turned around and clumped him. But you know, uh, I, 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 it's I, you know. I've always felt that he should have. It was, I mean, JK, you you know, it was a half hearted punch, really. I always wished it really, really decked him. I mean, Keown went down as though he had, but, you know.
1: Yes, he, well, I I think he, um, as he was doing it, he thought better of himself and thought, Mm. I don't really ought to, I don't think I ought to be punching him, but I'm going to punch him anyway. And the the thought then got in the way of the action. So it just looks as if he gives him a little bit of a tap in the back
0: of his neck. But we still loved him for it. Oh, uh, well, we uh, did, we did. You know, I mean, as I, I said.
2: And the other thing is, we talked about him on last week's show. It just gives you another reason to dislike Martin Bodenham intensely as an absolutely useless referee. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Real fans, real opinions.
1: I'm Jason Cundy. And you're listening to the Chelsea
0: Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Football and then some. Now we get into October, and uh, and we've got another we've got another Mark Meehan strange story. Well,
2: well, it is because obviously <laughs> we, we, you know because we'll, we we have to do the second half of the Bruce came from last week's show, but we we, ha- we had a bit of a dress rehearsal. Um, and this is really strange we got an invitation to go to Eton you know so we were supping up our beer and collecting our fags and we actually played them down in Slough Yeah. You know? um, so so was there a 20, row going
0: down in Slough
2: there was a row going on down down in Slough and sort of 25 years on thinking about how the age of those Eton boys football team now probably half of them uh, are in the current Conservative Government Cabinet and, and probably running the country um, and I think you know there's probably a bit of stuff they learn early on you know against us old lags when we turned up because I would call it a blatant bit of gamesmanship, you know so pre match you know they're all young and nimble and limbering up, and they offered us free food before kickoff you know on a Sunday afternoon, chicken roast and all the trimmings, and then we had apple pie and cream you know for dessert and i, I can safely say that Mr. Smith did indulge. <laughs> <laughs> and one or two others of the team did, so it was like. It, it, talk about sort of like nobbling the opposition beforehand but there was another thing as well as like our, our star player back then was meant to be a certain David Badil. but David didn't turn up this day to play against Eton he, he was a late withdrawal he was tired
0: the thing about Badil that we should put in and I, I haven't put anything in the, in the notes about this but of course at the end of this season we have you know a huge moment for English football we've got Euro 96 and of course, this is when Badil goes, you know, becomes really famous with uh, with Frank Skinner for doing the Fancy Football Show, and for which I thank them because most shows that I've made in my TV career on football were basically rehashes of the Fancy Football Show. <laughs> so I, I have a lot to thank uh, Badil, Skinner, and indeed Andy Jacobs, and I think Paul Hawksby. They they all worked on that show, didn't they?
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, we knew Mr. Jacobs then. We knew Mr. Bedil then. You know, we, we give them early gigs. You know, we, we, we did it. So they owe both. their
0: success to you, Mark.
2: They, they owe their success to the Chelsea Independent fans because we, we did interviews with both of them early doors. Uh, and obviously, David agreed to come out and, and play for us. And there'll, there'll be a recurring thing when we talk about the return game at Bruges. But this one, it was a late withdrawal because he was tired.
0: Bless him, bless him, bless yeah. him, bless him. Um, all right, so... Uh... What happened on October the 2nd then? I don't remember this at all, Mark.
2: Oh, I know, but basically all it, all it was is we, we, we used to organise sort of like regular meetings uh, and we used to hire Drake's out. So we hired Drake's out and had Matthew Harding on as guest speaker uh, and 100 fans turned up. So you could begin to see the interest and the drive and the pull that Harding had uh, and, you know, re- really frank and honest Q&A that evening. Probably wish I'd recorded it now. It'd be great to play it back. Uh, and obviously one of the questions that came to the floor, because it will happen later in the season, but the idea was being mooted about a shares issue, and Harding's response was quite interesting, because he basically said, oh, hang on a minute, football fans are shareholders already. He said anyone who turns up on on Saturday is already a shareholder. They turn up every week, they put their money into the club, and they're also emotional shareholders, the emotion they invest, and, and being a football fan as well. But actually he was really balanced as well about his relationship with Ken, because the wheels hadn't quite come off yet, yeah, you know? and you know no one actually wanted Ken to go. Although you know there was a suggestion sort of later down that that was the case. Yeah, he was held in high esteem, and I think at that point still the relationship between Harding and Bates was, Bates was grooming Harding as his potential successor as chairman at some at some point in the future. But the wheels fall off. But we'll we'll talk about that when we get to November. Was we, that true though, Mark, or was that just a rumour? Because I, I uh, there were lots of interviews,
1: TV interviews, weren't there at the time of. Uh people saying, oh, I think it's about time that uh, Bates
2: stepped down, he's a bit old and, uh, and... I would I would say at this point, there was no sort of massive campaign to oust him. I think the, the interesting point is when we get into November, the Daily the Daily Mirror runs a phone poll and asks, asks Chelsea fans to respond to the yes. poll. Now, a poll is a poll is a poll, but obviously 80, 80, 80% of the response was actually in favour of Harding being chairman rather than Bates. But again, that person, Ken Bateswood. He wouldn't pay any attention to a Daily Mirror poll at the end of the day.
0: No, and and I mean the reality is with with Matthew Harding, as I remember at the time. I mean, you know, he he, I mean, whether whether he did this as a play or not, I can't say. I I never really knew the guy, but he he is what I would call a very shrewd politician. So you know. He was a real fan of that. There was no doubt. He was perfectly happy mixing with the fans. I mean, he used to drink his Guinness in the in the Imperial, which, funny enough, I used to drink. And uh, but he was a real man of the people. So it was very easy for us to fall in love with Matthew Harding and say, well, you know, you have got a proper football bloke as a chairman. You know, we didn't see him as a as a rich businessman shyster running our club, which is what we you know we've had for a while now. We, we saw him as one of us, you know, and I think for, for I think I, I can see people voting, you know, wanting Matthew Harding as chairman very much for those reasons. But there you go. Anyway, uh, we have a bit of a, a poor run of uh, form. Uh, well, I say that, but uh, we, we, we basically lost to Stoke and the Coca-Cola Cup. Hullet missed a sitter, bizarrely. Uh,
1: we were absolutely all over them. I yeah, we were, that. weren't we? Absolutely not. I couldn't believe it. Pesky Solido scored a decent goal. I remember thinking, God, that was just so typical. We uh, we should have just... They, it, they were so in charge of that game.
0: Mark?
2: Well, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with J.K. Well, I remember, I think the Stoke fans were in the shed end that night. And yes, Mr. Karen Brady did score the goal for Stoke, but we were all over them. Uh, a night of missed chances. I, th- I think Steen was probably playing that night, and I think he missed chances. I think Hullick got frustrated with him. I was sitting in the East Lower that night, and it's like yeah, the moaning around and you sort of say well hang on a minute like it's still we're only in October but all the moaning had started already oh this is rubbish typical bloody Chelsea etc but we were the better side we just didn't take our chance for that that was just the frustrating thing Yeah, and then well obviously the, the following Saturday we do, we do another typical Chelsea again by going and winning away from home
1: yeah. in, that, in the, at that period I remember um, Hullet was so in advance of everybody else is thinking the number of occasions he would be he'd stroll into the midfield and he would gesticulate for somebody steen or spenny to go right or left or whatever and they would always steen in particular would always choose the wrong place to run and the number of times that that rude would play a, a beautiful pass to to nobody because he he'd made the wrong run having been in the right position and it was terribly frustrating. And, and what, what Rude used to do, he, he wouldn't hide his, uh, his, his own frustration, would do a rather large gesture and hit his head, or even go oh, with uh, holding his hands in the air from time to time, uh, basically saying, I'm surrounded by idiots. You know, <laughs> what am I doing here in this team? But it was, I'm afraid, it was particularly um, Steen, who just wasn't on his wavelength at all.
0: Indeed, 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 and as Mark says, we then went up to Villa Park and won one nil. Uh, uh, really good goal, actually. Again, I mean, talking about Hughesy and his hold-up play, as we were earlier on, he does really well. Well, for but but Chid Dennis also Wise. in this,
2: and JK made reference to it earlier. Frank, looking at the team lineup, Frank Sinclair is out injured now, and David Lee comes in.
0: No, he's not. Begin- are you, well,
2: are you is sure? He? Are you well, sure? I'm sure? I'm sure. I'm sure. I sure. Sort of looked at the team that's, this morning. That's not.
0: That's not when he breaks his leg. No, no, it's not when he breaks his leg. He, he's or, no, he does injury. his knee, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he's missing
2: injured for this game because David Lee plays. Yeah, yeah, but and I David don't Lee... I don't
0: think this is the big injury. I think he was injured. Oh, no, he, no, 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 no. It's
2: not the big injury, but Frankie's Frank, missing because he's injured for this game. Or he's been dropped for David Lee. David Lee comes into the side at this point, and he starts playing in defence on a regular basis going forward. And he becomes much more important then, as you then get the Petrescu feeling, you know, Wing backs join joining November, but this is when David Lee comes inside the side and starts playing regularly again because he had he had long periods out himself, and I think David Lee had had a broken leg as well. So
0: although although uh Frank's back for the next match against Man United, and we get absolutely walloped at home four uh, one. Oh
2: uh, yeah, absolutely shocking we were that day, <laughs> and well, Frank Frank gets sent off. Doesn't well, he? Well,
0: Frank uh, ninety minutes he basically. <laughs> Completely hacks uh, Brian McClair down, uh, probably because Brian McClair had the temerity to score on eighty-five minutes. But uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe they were just really, really good that day. I mean, I don't really have any memories of it. I mean, JK I remember don't... this one? Which
1: one? I...
2: The United yeah. game? Yeah. No, we were just awful. <laughs> just, you know. I I I remember it for non-football reasons. Yeah, you because know, United outclassed us that day. But I watched the game uh, with a guy called Andy Cairns who was in the Irish band Therapy. And if you remember your Delamitri, the lead singer whose surname, I can't remember, his first name was Justin. They had a song called Always the Last to Know. So I watched the game with them. You know, and I I think, you know, they they were great company. I was sitting with them in the the East Upper that day. Um, But, you know, so I might have had a good time. but, But my other memory of this is on the back of that day with Andy, and I did an interview with him, he invited me and about 10 of my Chelsea friends, he put us on the guest list for their next london gig which was at brixton academy so like really looking forward to go down it but we chose the absolute worst night of the year to go and see therapy play at brixton academy it was the night of the brixton riots <laughs> so the safest place that night with obviously cars being set alight and fighting with the police etc was probably the brixton academy the, the only thing afterwards the after show party that therapy had and I think the pub was called the Canterbury Arms, but if you live in Brixton, the pub next to Brixton Police Station was where Therapy had their after-show party. So again, um, by then when the gig is over, you know there is a, a long line of police from all over London guarding Brixton Police Station, and obviously inside the cordon is the Canterbury Arms. So again, if there was a sort of like a post-gig pint in a part of London that where riots take place, you couldn't have chosen a safer place to actually have a post-show pint where therapy were having their, their, their next to Brixton Police Station because you're surrounded by thousands of police officers.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Um, our brilliant run of form continues. By the way, we're now in 10th position, so we're like, you know, m- mid-table, let's be honest. Uh, we then play Blackburn away. Um, now, with Blackburn uh, the... Uh, champions weren't they I think yep. yeah they yep. were so they were yep. a decent side but they they absolutely humped us 3-0 um, and I mean the the you know the, the two things about this match that occurred to me one is um, something that you alluded to earlier on JK but I, I mean watching it all back on on the season review this weekend it seemed to me that Chelsea were just leaving themselves so open at the back and were getting hit on the counter a lot and I was thinking well hang on you know Rude's supposed to be playing sweeper, but ends up playing centre forward. So there was just such a, a kind of focus on attack, and they were leaving they were leaving the the barn door open at the back a lot. And I think good teams like United, you know, United that goal that Gig scored, for example, you know, good teams with pace were really hurting us. Blackburn did the same, but of course, as Mark was mentioning a minute ago, the other thing is this is when Frank Sinclair did get injured and carried off, and he actually missed the next sixteen games. Uh, but that did open the door for Michael Dubry because he, I think he was on loan at Bournemouth, and they called him up and got him back. Yep. Um yeah. But I mean, also, uh, Hullet was was really pissed off, wasn't he, Mark?
2: Oh, I was at I was at this game. Like, yeah, and Blackburn was always a good away trip because they had a pub behind a wayhead called I think the Fernhurst or something. Yeah, so it was always a good fun at Blackburn. And um, we we were just so bad that day, and you could just see the frustration. You could see the frustration with Hullet, where you think, what am I doing here? Because they clearly, the players on the pitch, they just weren't on the same wavelength. And again, you know, I, I, I do feel for Mark Steen, because yeah, he, he'd had a sort of purple patch the previous season. But this season, whatever he tried to do, it just it didn't, didn't it, it, did, yeah. it didn't come off. You know, so Hullet, you know, Hullet is setting up chances 24-7, yeah, and they're just not being taken. And then, obviously, as a fan's point of view, you can see... You know, it's, it's not working. But it, it wasn't just that. It wasn't working for Furlong either, because Furlong starts the game up front and Steens comes on and replaces him and gets all these chances. You know, so it wasn't working for either of them. And then you sort of say, well, hang on a minute. Where is Johnny Spencer? He's, he's nowhere to be seen. You know, so I know Spencer will come into the side later. So you could see Hullet's frustration, you know. Uh, and again, I think the following home game, we play Sheffield Wednesday at home and Bates has a pop you know, not just at the players after that loss to Blackburn. He has a pop at Hoddle as well. You know, so you sort of think, oh, well, hang on a minute, because just like a couple of days afterwards, I went to a book launch in Drake's by a lady called Khadija Buckland who'd done a, a 25-year anniversary of the FA Cup win. And Hoddle's at the event. And, I, you know, um, I, went, I went to his press conference at the event, and they were, the only question they were asking was, if a new contract was offered to you, because he was in the last year of his contract, would he sign it? And he wasn't prepared to discuss it yeah he was really sort of coy about that so you began to get it in rumors like Bates are slagging him off in the program you know side of poor you know is this a sign that Hoddle might be heading out the door
0: mm-hmm. interesting stuff um the interesting the other thing that's occurred to me where's where's gavin peacock it's hardly know, featured he... at all
2: i know i don't know was he was he injured this season yeah yeah,
0: yeah, very odd, very odd. Anyway, more or no, less. Like- he,
2: he, he does feature later because there's an absolute game where he yeah. you know, is yeah. a man of the match performance. I mean,
0: he, yeah. maybe he was injured because he certainly was playing a few games earlier on, uh, yeah. that's for sure. But anyway, there we go. Right, we're now into November and this is very key. I think this is actually pivotal, not just in the whole season, but, you know, for, for the future going forward because we have the presence of mind to sign a wonderful Dan Petrescu and uh, Terry Phelan. Uh, and as I said, on the 18th of November, Dubbs comes back from Bournemouth. Uh, and he does really, really well the first three games he plays. Uh, the first of which is, uh, I think it's uh, Sheffield Wednesday, isn't it, at home? Um, the other thing about that, Hullet goes off injured after an hour, uh, meaning he's out for six games. Lots of chances go begging. But we've got a bit of an injury crisis. Jonathan, did you miss a beat when uh, Hoddle went off injured?
1: When Hullet went off injured? Mm. Uh, yes, yes, because you knew that he he had a, a dicky knee, so there was always that uh, that possibility that it might might linger. And as it was, he was out for six, but um, but yeah, you you did feel it was it was slightly a one man team at the time. Um, so uh, yes, we were, we were all there. Everybody was um, uh, all my mates. Everybody I sat with were all very uh, um, worried about the injury. More so than anybody, obviously, because he was the star of the side. Um, but um, we, we we managed actually to do quite well without him for the next few games.
0: Well, I know. Funnily enough, we did. I mean, we did go to Leeds and we lost 1-0. Um, uh, you know, dodgy goal for Leeds by Yeboah. Arguably, Karim was fouled. But the thing was, this is, uh, I think, when Petrescu makes his debut and you can see that the pieces are all beginning to fit together a little bit better the other interesting thing about this mark was that this is where we start to see the Bates and uh, Harding brouhaha escalate he bans Harding from the director's bo- or he tells Lees to ban uh, him uh, Harding from the director's box
2: Oh, this is when it really kicks off. But what, what I would say beforehand about Michael Jubri, if you look at that run of games, he had a real baptism of fire jubilee yeah, and, and he did really well. Yeah. You know, in those first few games that he played, he was Mark Tony Boa, Teddy Sheringham, Andy Cole, Les Ferdinand and Ian Wright. And he, he didn't do too badly. So yeah, you know, fair play to him. You know, he's got probably at that point sort of like the, I would say the five or six sort of strikers, you know, at the top of the game in the Premier League. But yeah, uh, I think it starts uh, and it's interesting, the the main protagonists in this um are the Daily Mirror, you know, and in the Daily Mirror you've got a number of people in different corners. You've got Harry Harris very much on the sort of Ken Bates side of things. You had the late Nigel Clark on the Matthew Harding side of things, and on the in the Sun, you then had Brian Woolnow on the Matthew Harding side. But the sort of the starting point is like Bates had basically said you know, about Harding, you know, he wasn't fit to run the club. Yeah. You know, he, he basically said that yeah, you know, uh, uh, and you know, obviously Harding bites back, so day one, I think it's Tuesday, the seventh of November, you have the Bates article written by Harry Harris on the Wednesday, the ninth of November. you have the Nigel Clark article you know written in favor of Harding, but Bates that takes that takes no prisoners he, he basically sends a letter to Harding uh, and he basically bans him you know from. Oh, a, a number of things. He bans him from the car park. He bans him from the executive club. He bans him from the players' bar. As you said, he tells the Legionite directors to ban him from the, the box up there. And Harding comes out with this absolutely brilliant line. Yeah, because Harding, I think, had about a dozen season tickets. You know, if it's all, is it okay by you? You know, if I go and sit in the, the north stand? Because after all, i have bloody well paid for it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. And
2: but um, go on. No, but that, that's when you begin to see that there's, there's tension there. You know, for sort of like the month, the month of November. And I think from memory, on the Saturday, we, it was the international break, um, and Chelsea play at West Ham for Alvin Martin's testimonial. And you, you even see it now if you Google it. There's photos of Matthew uh, with his hands up in the air celebrating a Chelsea goal. Uh, and Rob Beasley, the journalist, is, is, is beside him. So I think Rob's there, obviously, sort of like getting the hard, hard inside thing. But... For a short period of time, there was no love lost between the two. And I think part of it, it comes back to Harding, is I think Harding wasn't prepared to put any more money into the club than he already done by actually without knowing a lot more of what's going on, Sort shall we say, behind, behind the scenes. And a good, a good example of that is um, you had Chelsea Village. Um, and again, like the News of the World did a story on Chelsea Village. And they basically sort of like... You know, highlight who the shareholders were. Now, at that point, yeah, you know, there was 102 million shares in Chelsea Village, and Ken Bates spoke for a hundred of those 102 million. But I don't think any of that was Ken's money. It was like other people's money. And the News of the World at the time said that obviously the people that owned Chelsea Village, some of the ones they named, were a company called R.H.K. Nominees, Highside Limited. And between them, those two companies that were a registered office block, you know, in Hong Kong, you know, sort of like a, they own 50 percent of Chelsea Village. A company called Van Bur Limited owned another 9 percent. And the News of the World traced that to a post office box in Guernsey. And this is probably the most interesting character of all. Another shareholder was a gentleman called Ashraf Marwan. Now, Ashraf Marwan had actually been questioned by MI5 um, about being a Middle Eastern arms dealer. Uh, and, and Marwan, if you Google Marwan, Marwan, Marwan is sadly dead now. Um, but Mar- Marwan was um, supposedly a Mossad, Mossad spy. So, Bloody
0: hell.
2: So we, we, we've got these really interesting people who own our football club. And what I found fascinating about that time when, when Roman takes over is, God rest his soul, remember Tony Banks saying at the time, he said, well, oh, we're not sure about this Russian bloke and where his money's <laughs> come from. And we go, hang on a minute, Tony, you weren't that bothered. When, like, you, know, you weren't sure where the other person's money was coming from, but you'd, you'd sit in the East End and have lunch with him every every other Saturday. Yeah. But, yeah, the gloves are off by now. Bates is basically saying Harding's not fit to do the job, implying, obviously, that he's a bit of a water cat character, suggesting the reason why he's banned from the boardroom because of his drunken behaviour and turning up far too much to drink. So. You know, it all culminates in a game with Spurs at home where there was a su- suggestion, you know, that there was going to be a demonstration by fans. You know, so at half time, and I remember there was booing at the time, whether Bates police, I don't know, there was police dogs on the pitch at half time. Now, normally when we saw dogs on the pitch with the police, there's usually a dog display. We had that down yeah. a few times the um, yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was no there was no this they anticipated a demonstration. Like I was part of the Chelsea Pennant. There was no demonstration plan. I can say that hand, hand on half. Yes, we, we spoke regular with Matthew. Matthew shared lots of stuff with us. There was no demonstration. Even if like the Daily Mirror had run a poll that basically said 80% of Chelsea fans wanted Matthew Hardy to take over. But probably at that point where things I don't think were ever the same again, obviously, between, between Harding and Bates. They kiss and make up sort of like late, late, uh, later next month. But, you know, at that particular moment in time, you know, there was no likelihood of Harding ever becoming chairman of Chelsea Football Clubs.
1: Now, I never really understood what was going on. I'll be frank with you. And I have to say, I still don't understand what's going on, Mark. Sorry yeah. to be... Uh,
2: no, um, that's fine. I oh, think yeah, ha- yeah. from, from Harding's point of view, Harding wanted to put the money into the club. But yes. he wanted to know, obviously, who the owners really were, because it's like it'd be like. No, being... no,
1: I understand that bit. But I, yeah. I, there was an earlier bit, wasn't there, yeah. where where we were told that um, he'd put all the money into um, the stand, and yep. as it said, the north stand was his. But I was then told whether this was this was rumour mill mm-hmm. that um, he'd in fact loaned the money to the club.
2: It was a loan. It was um, a loan. And this is another reason why they 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 fell out. Oh, they fell um, out.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they fell
2: out because Bates wanted Harding to convert that loan into equity. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. and Hard- and this is the point, Harding wasn't prepared to convert that into equity until he really saw where the money was going and who the people who were actually the Run owners it. of Chelsea That was the proper. reason. That was the reason
1: going around because people were saying um, he's put all this money into the club, and Bates is treating him badly. And I was saying, no, actually, the the reality is that he hasn't put the money into the club. He's just he's just offered them a loan. Um, but and you're, and, he, and you're absolutely right. He because he wanted clarity as to who actually owned the club. And yet there was another theory that all these names that supposedly owned the club were in fact made up, and that it was all they were all Bates. Did you ever hear that one?
2: Well, yeah. Um, I, and again, I think it's more revealed next season where we've actually got named people. So we, we'll, we'll save that for sort of like um, a, a future show where we've actually, and some of the names are incredible names where you, you'd think they were characters in a carry on film. Yes. You know, some, some of the names, like, yeah. yeah. And I, I can't at the moment think of any Sid James characters, but yeah, but we'll, we'll cover that on a future show because Bates always said um, he, he spoke for 100 million of those shareholders. Uh, what no one knew is who those 100 million shareholders were. But basically 50 million of those shares were those two companies that I mentioned. And it's trying to establish who, who were the people behind them. And that's the sort of thing is, hang on, if these people, you know, are, owns a Chelsea Football Club. I think I don't think it was unreasonable for Harding want to know who they actually were because if he's putting money in, he wants to know who he's doing business with. I will not give you twenty million pound and just say, oh, off you go with it. I'd want to know who's dealing with my twenty million pound. Bates' big
1: thing was he actually didn't contribute the money and wouldn't do it, and that was one of the reasons why he didn't want
2: him running the club. Yeah, and and, and Ken was very good. It's like actually he was very good at persuading people to invest. He was very good at that. Yeah whether at a large level or a low level. And again, that's
0: how we brought Matthew in as well. So, uh, going back to the Bolton game, um, which is, I have to say has got to be one of the... You know, in the context of this season, has perhaps got to be the weirdest game of the season. Um, we win 3-2. Uh, Sasser Churchill scores a brilliant goal to put Bolton 1-0 up. What a wonderful
1: uh, player he was, Chidge. He uh, was.
0: I forgot what wonderful. a good
1: player he was. Absolutely brilliant. And everybody was slightly, "Whoa, where did they get? Where does this yeah. guy come from? He's a, you know, he's he's one of those dubious foreigners. Look at him! Wow, look at that, that great yeah. skill." And but he was really top banana. But he
0: beat about player. four or five players before putting it right in the corner. He's he absolutely do super. that
1: regularly. Yeah. he seemed to do that for a lot of the season. Actually, he's, he's, I really think he scored clever. against us
0: again in the in the in the uh, you know in the uh, no uh, way we went, went up there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he puts them one nil up. Uh, then uh, Super Dan uh, uh, gets the ball to Rodders, who scores his first goal for two years, and uh, and then and then Gareth Hall scores an amazing curler to put us two one up. That's his first goal for two and a half years. Then uh, Green scores for them to make it two all. And then Eddie, Eddie Newton scores the third uh, with uh, three, five minutes to go. I mean, what a uh, kind of weird, unlikely goal scorers, but a really good performance, I thought.
2: Mark? Oh, what a game. I, I remember it, yeah, night, night game. And Gareth Hall's goal is amazing. Yeah, I, I think Gareth probably said that is the best goal he ever got to the club. He didn't get many goals. But, yeah, really end-to-end game, you know, typ- almost like a typical Chelsea game, Yeah. You know? We've won the game, then we've lost it, then we've won it again. And then Eddie Newton was the winner with five minutes to go. There's no better way to win the game with a, with a late winner. It was, it was a
1: great huge cross as well for that for his header.
0: Yes, it was. It was absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, when they turned it on, they were really good. But I was just surprised. But I mean, you know, in a season where we've talked about some great goals by some great goal scorers, Rodders and bloody Gareth Hall, what's going on? Um, but even
2: even Eddie Newton, Eddie Newton didn't get that many no. goals as, as he got some really important goals. He did. None also in the cup final. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, if, there were three if you if you were in Ladbroke before and you having a bet on a player score, you would get good odds on all three of those. Yep,
0: yeah, you would indeed. Uh we now go into December, um and we're still, I think, pretty much <clears throat> mid table. He just checks the wonderful bound of Friday. Yeah, we're we're tenth 11th, 11th. we're eleventh after drawing 0-0 with Spurs um well we had a, a goal disallowed for absolutely nothing but let's not re re fight old battles. Uh we then have what I would call a really tough run of games. We've got uh, United away, Newcastle at home. Remember that uh you, you, Newcastle United are, are leading the uh, uh the Premier League at the time. United are 5 points behind. Uh we then play Arsenal and uh, then it gets a little bit easier but then but let's talk about the United. We go up there, uh, and and as always, we we do really really well up there. Um, Wise uh, scores uh, to make it one nil. I can't remember who did the shot, but he basically Spencer oh, Spence Benny hit the post, didn't he? And then Wise he put it in. Yeah, it was a really good goal, actually. I thought. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and then talked about Wise very much. Actually, I thought play, played played. Uh... Had a, had a terrific season as well, actually.
0: Well, I, I do mention him, but I mentioned him much later. But I, I agree with you. I think he was absolutely back to his best this season. I think he'd put his the taxi trauma behind him, yeah. uh, and he he spoke quite movingly about that. I think in the review, didn't he, where he realised that that it was actually very serious and he could have been in a lot of trouble, and he was lucky, and it kind of made, it was a bit of a wake up call for him, I think. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Beckham equalises for them. Cole misses a sitter late on. So it was a good point to get up there. And then we play Newcastle at home. <clears throat> As I said, they they are uh, leading the uh, the division at the time. Uh, Terry Phelan makes his debut. Um, but this is quite bizarre, actually. Super Dan basically uh, scores his first goal for Chelsea. But right after Pavel Shernik. Uh, comes on for Shaka Hislop, who just in- injured himself. But Mark, you know, still mired in the whole Bates Harding thing, isn't it? This match is also remembered for the makeup between Bates and Harding on Match of the Day.
2: It, it, it was indeed, and that, that coat that Ken was wearing at the time. And So I, I don't know what animal was killed to wear that coat. No. But yeah, they, they had a board meeting on the Thursday after, and it is quite funny with Phelan making his debut that when they'd fallen out in November, one of the things that Harding has said in his interview at the Daily Mirror is despite all of that, you know, that he's being banned from this, banned from that. He's still getting a phone call from a club director wanting his money so they, they can actually pay for Terry Phelan. And obviously Phelan makes his debut. Yet yeah, they they'd kissed and made up. I think part of it, what the original plan then at that boardroom, and they issued a sort of like a very short 83-word statement, but um, not surprisingly, the Daily Mirror was the newspaper that picked up on it and, and published it the next day. Harry Harris was the journalist that published it. Uh, and it basically says that... Um, Ken Bates and Matthew Harding will both be having lunch and sitting together at the Newcastle game on Saturday as part of the agreement that there would be sort of like a point where Harding will become like vice chairman, no, sorry, vice president of Chelsea Football Club. That was, that was the title he was going to be as part of their peace deal. Bates, as part of the peace deal, would concentrate on the commercial development that was Chelsea Village because obviously Hutchinson and Harding have already resigned to Chelsea Village. And Harding would have responsibility for player purchasing in partnership with the manager. And Harding would chair a subcommittee on player purchases. And obviously, no sooner that he does that, than uh, Terry Phelan joins and has a, has a marvellous debut. And plays a key part in the remainder of the season. So, at this moment, we have peace in our time.
0: We do indeed. As
2: a postscript, was, <clears throat> did Sternacek not have a wig? Was that not
1: a wig? Is
0: that a be? syrup, mate?
1: Yeah. It, and he, 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 I thought there was a, a program where, where he explained what kind of wig it was, and it was like a, a complete wig that he glued on. Did you never see that that program? That's
0: amazing. My... I didn't know that. No, no.
2: <clears throat> he, he's passed away now, isn't he? Sir, yeah,
0: isn't he? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Died quite recently, I think. Yeah. Didn't he? Well, within the last kind of few. few Unless years. I'm
1: confusing him with another first division goalkeeper who had a wig. That One of them. Know. I thought it was him, but it wasn't just a, you know a little syrup or bit on top was the whole thing that he glued on. Like a
0: helmet. Like,
1: exactly, exactly. But if you look at his hair, it looks like a helmet.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, Shaka Hislop's now uh, ESPN's dude in the States, isn't he, on their, on their Premier yeah. League coverage. Yeah. I love his accent. It's just so thick and creamy. It's got that yeah. lovely Caribbean lilt to it. I yeah. do love his accent. Bless him. Um, so there we go. Talking of Caribbeans, we haven't heard from Kenroy for a while, have we? I wonder how Kenroy is kenroy if you're listening tell us how you are anyway um moving on yeah arsenal go up to highbury uh and we draw one all spenny puts us one all up and then very annoyingly very annoyingly lee dixon uh equalizes with two minutes to go bit frustrating to say the least um and then we've got wimbledon at home this is a very strange well, we play city next don't we I find, oh i'm reading ahead aren't i yeah we've got city next um Oh, yeah, this is important because uh, Rudy's back. And uh, boy, have we missed him. And he makes a huge impact, of course. Uh, he lays on uh, a goal for Peacock with an absolutely superb pass. Again, 1-0. Uh, and that's how it stayed. Um, that's his first game back after six weeks. And and, and, and I think we can all agree we, we had missed him, uh, I think... We had definitely missed him, yes. Mark, Oasis were on the pitch beforehand. What's all that about?
2: Yeah, they were. Like I went up to Main Road. This is sort of like the Saturday before Christmas, which is notoriously, you know, not great for attendances. But Oasis were in their pomp at that time. If you think 1995, "What's the Story Morning Glory" has been released, yeah. You know, so I don't know whether or not you know they were going to play at Main Road for a gig or they'd got a gold record. But I do remember Oasis being on the pitch, and that was that was around that whole blur versus Oasis thing, I think. Um, Country House um, got to number one, and uh, I think Roll With It was number two. So, you know, that it was it, it was around that time, you know, that you had all that. Because I, I remember I did a front cover of the Chelsea Independent, and I took the photo from that book launch, you know, and I made a joke about, you know, Hoddle decides which side he's on, because they were all, always asking, was it Harding or Bates? And I just basically said that he was... Um, uh, blur or a better band than Oasis. And the late Alan Collis, who did the red card fanzine, mm. was good friends uh with Noel Gallagher. So Alan being mischievous showed that front cover to sort of Noel Gallagher and I think Noel Gallagher was saying unkind words about the fanzine I was editing at that time, bless him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's got a he, great he, sense of humour, hasn't he? It, you know? He can fuck off.
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, so
0: articulate.
2: The, the other thing I was I was gonna say, yeah, Hollett came back for that game and even though we didn't do too badly when he was out for that six weeks, we won the game. You just noticed yeah. the difference, and 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 Peacock's there again, so he sets up the winner for Peacock. Yeah, we we really missed him badly, so it was good to have him back.
0: It was indeed. Uh, right, we've got two more more games before the turn of the year. The, uh, both at home. The first one is against Wimbledon, uh, which is a match that many, many, many people remember. Um, the first, I mean, you know. Super Dan puts us 1-0 up uh, then Robbie Earl equalises Spenny goes close why does F and a cuckoo always effing score against us I don't know why but he puts um, them 2-1 up and then it all really kicks off doesn't it JK uh, Vinny Jones absolutely does rude hull he goes straight through the back of him quite, rankly, quite rightly gets sent off Um unbelievable Unbelievable, and apart from that, uh, Dubry gives away a penalty which Karine saves from Holdsworth, and then Robbie Earl uh gets one off the line from Mark Hughes. So, we, we... I think,
1: um, I think Karine was at his, his most unpredictable in this game because the uh, um, the, the first Earl goal, the, the Earl goal from the corner, he's mm. riveted to the spot, and um, uh, and this was the problem I had with him in this season, he could. He was he was both um, sweet and sour. He was chalk and cheese. He was uh, uh, he could do a fantastic save and then just go missing. And his penalty save from Holdsworth was was great, but he'd already given the goal away earlier on. Um, an interesting thing about Holdsworth: from then on, we were associated with buying Holdsworth for the next next few seasons. When in doubt, oh, Holdsworth's coming. And you'd think, yeah, he's not a bad player, but whether that was once again all just. Um, pie in the sky, I suspect it was but uh, there was somehow some feeling that he was a, um, um, uh, a notch above Spencer and uh, Peacock um, as the as the years went on and I, I didn't think that was the case but no, he felt, he's a decent
2: player but it, it never happened.
0: No, so. I agree entirely with that. Mark?
2: I, I think the other thing about the Wimbledon game is as, as, also as, as bad as that tackle was uh, on you know, Vinnie Jones on all the, other side too, that as well, Vinnie Jones was still a popular. You yeah. Know, so, yeah, you know, when he came back, you know, he got a great round of applause, like, you know, because he'd, he'd only been gone a couple of years, but in that split second, he undid all that popularity. You know, Jones actually got booed off the pitch by the Chelsea fans, but then Hoddle has a go at him as he's going off the pitch, you know, and then he has a set two at Hoddle. You know, uh, as well. So the, the, the booze got louder and louder. And from then on, you know, when he came back, and yeah, we play him later in the season as well, Jones just get booed all the time. Yeah. so he'd gone from being a hero to very quickly being a villain in Chelsea fans' eyes, purely and simply on the basis of that tackle on Holland.
0: Mm, no, quite understandably. Uh, right, we then have Liverpool at home. Uh, this was a great game, actually. Um, lots of very good goals. Spencer, great volley from a super Dan Cross. I mean, this is the interesting thing. I mean, talk about impacts like Rude but super dan makes an impact immediately doesn't he when he comes in uh in in november you know goals assists terrorizing uh poor un- unsuspecting left backs he's brilliant anyway he lays
1: fabulous passer of a ball Chief. yeah fabulous. well
0: yeah absolutely brilliant he lays on a goal a great spencer uh, another great spencer volley McManaman equalizes from a great shot from 25 yards out Spenny gets another one, two one, and then McManaman gets another 25-yard drive to make it two all. Spenny hits the post, and McManaman goes. It's like the Spencer and McManaman show. It's bizarre. Anyway, McManaman goes close with another long-range effort, and uh, and then Hullet, uh crosses to Dennis Wise. He goes close when it was in fact easier to score. But a real a great game actually. And uh, let's
1: be frank, Wisey was missed a complete sit. He did.
0: But, yeah. Well, I said it was easier to score. I don't know how he missed it.
1: I wanted to give it even more emphasis okay. absolutely. would you would, more...
0: you would you like to give it more emphasis
1: yes it was shit
0: okay there you go Thank you.
2: <laughs> mark well the, the other thing as well first as well as being an absolutely cracking cracking game and i said i'd uh, make reference to it because i talked about last week's show we finally got round to having our second leg of our european cup winners cup game against the brew supporters club so they came over on mass from Belgium, because obviously some of them now are season ticket holders as well, Chelsea, the Belgian Blues. So we played them at Battersea Park on the morning of the Liverpool game. And we hired the pitch there. And again, there's a theme emerging here. Our star signing, Mr David Badil, once again, <laughs> failed to turn up. He wasn't tired this time. He was seeing his girlfriend. So he, couldn't, he couldn't make it. So we were doing really well. Um, we ran into a 4-2 lead. So we'd lost the first leg 2-1. So we're 5-4 up on aggregate. And there was a moment you know, in the game, like David's brother Ivor used to play for it. Ivor sadly gets injured. Uh, and Neil Smith was refereeing. So we didn't have another ref. So Ivor goes off injured, but has to referee the game. And Neil comes on in midfield in place uh, place of him. And I don't know whether it was the loss of Ivor or him becoming referee because he gives a penalty uh, to Bruges. You know, so there's no home bias there. We actually concede five goals in five minutes. So going from a 4-2, it ends up like a, a, a Wimbledon centre-court tie-break situation. You know? So we end up losing 7-5 to the Bruce Supports club, and we therefore lose 9-6 on aggregate. And there was this w- rather annoying thing. Um, what the Brews fans used to do every time they scored was this large, loud, throaty cheer that sounded like yawr. And you can imagine hearing that five times in five minutes, you know. no, the whole idea of playing support was, you know, on the back of Dublin said, was to build a relationship, you know, with opposing fans. But actually, did you know, at the end of it, we wanted to fight with him as well.
1: <laughs> By the way, a postscript to that, but David Baddiel's girlfriend who he was going up with is more Banks. a so of course he then who's I in, married
2: her we married her yeah. and they're in
1: peppa pig and i asked her out
2: yeah. oh, really? but before yeah. or
0: after he was married well, to her? You, before, why, didn't you, before. why didn't
2: you ask her out the day of that game and he could have turned up the play for us he could have done and also i then might have gone out with
1: her <laughs> She turned me down what did she say why well no i asked her out on the answer phone and she had a very strange answer phone that said if I don't reply, it means my answer phone isn't very good," she says "Not working very well, which I thought was quite canny, because I said I wondered if she'd like to go for a coffee. This Jonathan kid, I'd work, just work with her. I wanted if she'd like to go for a coffee. She gave me a phone number, and and her, her response was to never get back to me. So uh, I thought, oh, that's canny. It could have been, of course, she really did have a rubbish answer phone, but I I took it as it was quite a canny thing to do because it meant that you could then pretend that you didn't want to get you, you you know somebody hadn't. Uh, um, it was just the answer phone had broken when actually he didn't want to
0: speak to the person anyway. I'm amazed. I'm amazed, uh, Mark. I've got a question for you. Um, you said that Badil was our star player. I mean, was he actually good?
2: Well, the interesting thing, he never played for us. He was meant to be our star player because he was the big name. Oh, so he but was we, a star
0: uh, because he was well known, not necessarily because he was any good.
2: Yeah, yeah. I n- never saw him play because every time we organised the game, there was there was another reason why I couldn't make it.
1: Oh, Mark, if only I'd known you, then I'd have turned up to all of them. Oh goodness. <laughs> And I, but I obviously wasn't as well known as him, unfortunately. So I could have been your your non-star player. I could have been yeah. your your player because I've been in a couple of shows with him. Yeah. But um, but I obviously wasn't as well known as him.
0: So, uh. yeah, you should have had Damon from
1: Blur. Yeah, because he played, or even um, Phil Daniels. Yeah, Phil can play.
2: Yeah. No, yeah. we had Ivor, bless him, and I i was done a lot since then. And Ivor Ivor wasn't a bad player, bless him, and he he always turned out to play for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Well, there you go. What a what a typically surreal note to end this uh, half of the show on. Uh, but just a, a quick reminder uh, that if you if you like what we do, if you enjoy what we do, uh, then, of course, you can show your appreciation uh, by not booing us off the pitch next time you sit. No, 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 not that one again. No, you can show your appreciation by joining our Patreon site. Uh, it helps me to cover the cost of the shows. blah, blah, blah um but there are fringe benefits to this um number one you immediately get access to our discord group which is a huge amount of fun uh when the football's actually on i i i've been very absent because there's no, no football to talk about basically uh so i will be uploading the photographs from our shindig uh, on saturday to them though so they can all have a look at that and of course we have the premier league predictions coming back soon so um I will be putting links out, sending emails to people. Anybody who wants to join it, look out for our Twitter and Facebook pages because it will have details how to join the league. It was so much fun last season. We all absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. That will get you into the Discord group too because there's a whole channel on there dedicated to the league. And of course, last but by no means least, you get a Kerry Dixon mini banner, a replica of the one that hangs in the uh, Matthew Harding end. So there are plenty of good reasons to do it other than just saying, thank you, chaps. We enjoy what you do. Now, if you want to do that, it's easy to go to patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast. And as I said, there's no pressure, really. It's it's entirely up to you. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's only about a dollar or a quid a month or five a a month, something like that. So it's up to you entirely what you do. But we love you for it if you do. Uh, Right. We will be back after a very short break.